Al-Bayan Radio presents a brief explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi presented by Farhan bin Rafi' Ahmed. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Inna alhamdulillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inu wa nasta'afiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shuroori anfusina min sayyati amalina man yahdihi illa falam wadalah wa man yudlil falam tajida lahu waliya murshida. وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله الأحد القهار وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون Indeed all praise and thanks belongs to Allah tabarak wa ta'ala We seek his help, his assistance and guidance in all things He whom Allah tabarak wa ta'ala guides there is no misguidance for him and he whom Allah tabarak wa ta'ala leads astray, there is no guidance for him except through the will and permission of Allah tabarak wa ta'ala alone. And I bear witness and testify that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib al-Hashmi al-Qurashi was the final messenger and prophet sent to all of mankind. O you who believe, fear Allah as he deserves to be feared and do not die except in a state of Islam, do not die except that you are Muslims. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa sir li amri wa hlul uqtata min lisani qawli. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walilah alhamd, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walilah alhamd, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walilah alhamd. Alhamdulillah, this is lesson 48 and today we begin hadith 30. But just a reminder to my brothers, sisters and myself that there's only a few more days in these 10 days of the hijjah so it is a time that we should try our hardest to do as much as we can and if these 10 days do not look different in your lives then the days that came before or the days that will come after then know that this is a deficiency in your religion because the prophet sallallahu said that there is no days more beloved, good deeds are to be done in than the 10 days of the Hijjah. And these are the best 10 days by consensus in the entire year. And these days, as we mentioned last week, are better than the days of Ramadan. However, the nights of Ramadan are more holier than any other nights of the year. Also, another thing that I think I need to keep mentioning is that if anyone wants to leave, I know it's raining and you all have families to go to and whatnot. So if anyone has certain things that they need to do, this is not salah, we're not keeping you hostage. You may leave, inshallah, the the dars will not be shorter. The dars will stay its length, but if anyone needs to leave throughout, ahla wa sahlan. The dars is also recorded for anyone who wants to listen. We begin with the Arabic. عن أبي ثعلب الخشني جرثم بن ناشر رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله تعالى فرض فرائض فلا تضيعوها وحد حدودا فلا تعتدوها وحرم أشياء فلا تنتهكوها وسكت عن أشياء رحمة لكم غير نسيان فلا تبحثوا عنها حديث حسن رواه الدارقطني وغيره الإمام النووي رحمه الله states it was narrated on the authority of Abu Tha'labah al-Khushani, Jurthum, Jurthum bin Nashir radiallahu an. That the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Most High, has prescribed the obligatory 
has prescribed the obligatory deeds, so do not neglect them. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed the obligatory deeds, so do not neglect them. And He has set certain limits, so do not, do not transgress them. And He has forbidden certain things, so do not indulge in them. And He is silent about certain things as an act of mercy to you, so do not out of, not out of forgetfulness, so do not go inquiring into these. Related by Daraqutni and Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah said, this hadith is hasan, this hadith is sound. Now this hadith is a very important hadith, but before we get to the hadith, we will go through the narrator Abu Tha'laba. Now Abu Tha'laba radiallahu an, is, a, is a companion subhanallah that everyone knows through his kunya, Abu Tha'laba. However, his name is something that is very, very much disputed through the books of names with the scholars. And subhanallah, from the early muhaddithin till now, there's not a consensus of who this person, yani the name of this person is. We know that he existed. We know that he has a hadith and he's relayed a hadith to us. However, the muhaddithin have not yani, found consensus within, themsel- within themselves of the name of this particular companion. And from this we learn that certain companions, we know their names. Certain companions, we know their father's names. Certain companions, we know their grandfather's names. Certain companions, we know up the lineage. However, certain companions, we only know of, sometimes, just their kunya. يعني, Abu Tha'laba. And others, we know just that they were around the Prophet ﷺ. We don't know that their names, يعني, we don't know what their names were. It's something that is important. Now, in يعني, the manuscripts of يعني, this book and the commentaries of this book and the prints of this book, يعني, the companion, what is يعني, found in the book itself is that the companion's kunya is accepted. Everyone knows that it's Abi Tha'laba. Abu Tha'laba is the name of this companion. That's how he's referred to. Now, this companion, subhanAllah, Ibn Hajar rahimahullah says that his name was Jurthum, Jurthum and Imam Ahmad and Yahya ibn Ma'in and others said that it was Jurhum bin Nashim and Imam Bukhari says that it was Jurhum and it, said, it is said that it is also Jurthum bin Nashim however I just want to give you a taste of sometimes what it is like to try to find the names of certain companions sometimes we just don't have all of the information however if you wanted to find this companion you could either find him in sometimes his actual name but usually it's found by his kunya Abi Tha'laba so Imam Nawi rahimahullah what is his opinion he says that it is Jurthum bin Nashir Jurthum bin Nashir radiyallahu an now what we know is that he embraced Islam before Fath Makkah he was and one of the most notable things was that he was of those who pledged their allegiance to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in Bay'atul Ridwan uh, in Hudaybiyah, and this is mentioned by Imam al-Darqutni rahimahullah. And he was from Sham, and more particularly, he was يعني, from a place not from the actual Sham, but he was from a place found in Sham. يعني, one of the tribes, one of the villages or towns that were in Sham. Sham is a very very big place, not يعني, what we think of the modern Sham. It's the Levant area which crosses countries today. يعني, it is part, he was from one of the places in Sham. And it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ sent him back to his people. 
and he did the da'wah to his people and they became Muslim upon his da'wah. His entire village or town or where he was from embraced Islam by the da'wah of Abu Thalabah Something that is mentioned in some of the ahadith that he was a hunter. He used to love to hunt. And specifically he would have a bow and arrow and he would also hunt with dogs. And uh, this all we know, يعني, subhanAllah, a lot of the narrations that we know came from this Sahabi عن, and his questionings to the Prophet of hunting and how do we hunt with dogs and what is allowed and what is not. And uh, this goes back to this companion. He had trained dogs عن, for hunting, not يعني, to look cool to his friends. Uh, what we also know is that he fought alongside the Prophet in Khaybar. He fought alongside the Prophet ﷺ against the Jews of Khaybar. Uh, in the narration where it says, subhanAllah, this, that he fought alongside the Prophet ﷺ in Khaybar, it is actually mentioned that he came to the Prophet ﷺ for the first time whilst the Prophet ﷺ was getting ready to go to Khaybar. So he meets the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ is getting ready the army. And he embraces Islam at this time. Then he becomes a Muslim and then joins the army of the Prophet ﷺ and goes to Khaybar with the Prophet ﷺ. And after that, after he gets a split of the ghanima, of the booty of, of, of Khaybar, then the Prophet ﷺ sends him back to his people to do da'wah. So this is something that is mentioned of Abu Tha'labah Now he lived quite some time after the death of the Prophet ﷺ. He lived... He had a long life, radiallahu an. But he witnessed a lot of fitan that had occurred between the Muslims and that was present in the community of the Muslims after the death of the Prophet wasallam, specifically after the death of Umar. Because we know that after the death of Abu Bakr and Umar, then a lot of fitan started to come in, in يعني, the Muslim community. And this was for many reasons, but one of the main reasons is that slowly, slowly, a lot of the companions had passed away. And now you had people who weren't companions, people of the next generation, and people who had other ideologies and other tendencies who started to creep in. And people wanted to stir fitna in the Muslim ummah. For this is the time frame after the death of Umar an, where you saw a lot of conflict in the Muslim community. And subhanAllah, this is something that Abu Tha'laba witnessed and Abu Tha'laba he mentions a beautiful statement and he said that I hope to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not treat me harshly يعني, just as I see you all treating each other harshly I hope that he doesn't treat me as harsh as you are all treating each other and the actual word is يعني, that he uses I hope that Allah does not choke me how you guys are all choking each other I hope يعني, the meaning of it is I hope that Allah is not going to be harsh with me as I see you all being harsh with one another. And it is said after this that he was in his prayer room, a, a place where he would be secluded in his home. And he was praying Qiyamul Layl, late at night. And he passed away during making sujood. Whilst he was in sajda, whilst he was prostrating, he passed away, radiallahu Now what is mentioned in the books, like in Sirah Alam al-Nubala, by Imam al-Dhahabi and Kitab al-Isaba of Ibn Hajar, rahmatullah alayhim, what is mentioned is that whilst he passed away, his daughter was sleeping, and she had a dream that he had passed away 
يعني was in prayer and so she woke up fazi'ah she woke up in a haste what's going on and then she asked about her father to the family where's where's dad where is he and they said he's in the musalla he's in his place of prayer and they went to him and they touched him and they had found that he had passed away radiyallahu an this is the story of abu thalaba in brief and he died in the year 75 after the hijrah of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as mentioned by the historians of islam now this hadith before we get into it this is maybe one of the three ahadith that are considered the weak ahadith of this book this hadith was narrated by imam al-darqutni and this hadith imam nawawi rahimahullah says that it is sound it is hasan However, when we look at this hadith, this takes the umbrella term that we talked about in one of the earlier classes of being hasan li ghayri, of being weak in itself, weak in itself, hasan li ghayri. It is weak by itself, but when you look at everything around it and the supporting evidence, it becomes stronger. So because there are other ahadith similar to this through other companions, it becomes stronger. But this hadith specifically has two problems. The first is inqita', which is a missing link in the actual narrators. And the second is some state that this is the wording of Abu Tha'laba, radiallahu an jurthum. Or it was, يعني they say it's either his statement or his statement on the Prophet. There's Some people say it's either or. However, what we know is that this hadith specifically, if we had to look at it, it is weak. It is weak. However, when we look at all of the supporting evidence and everything that is similar of the meaning of this hadith, then we say that this hadith is hasan. And if we want to be very specific, we say it is sound due to its corroborating evidences. Hadith, hasanun li ghayri. Now, the importance of this hadith, subhanallah, even though it has issues in its isnad, but its overall meaning is accepted by the ulama and there is no question by it. Yani Ibn Sam'ani Rahimahullah says that this hadith is a great foundation of the foundations of this religion. This hadith is a great foundation of the foundations of this religion. And he says that others have said that there is not a hadith that covers the foundations of this religion and its branches like this hadith does. Subhanallah. That there isn't a hadith from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that covers as much as this hadith does from the foundations of this religion and its branches. Abu Wathila al-Muzani rahimahullah states that the Prophet ﷺ gathered the entire religion in four sentences. And it's this, these four sentences. Subhanallah. Now, what are the four sentences that the Prophet ﷺ mentions? إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى فَرَضَ فَرَائِدْ فَلَا تُضَيِّعُهَا That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made obligatory, obligatory matters. So do not waste them. Do not lose them. يعني the exact wording of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is do not neglect them. Do not be neglectful of them. For what is important here is we understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made obligatory matters, obligatory 
in this religion. Yani how we see the fast, how we see the prayers, how we see hajj, how we see zakah. So he is saying in this hadith, don't neglect your fara'id. Don't neglect the wajib of this religion. Don't neglect what is obligatory for you to do in this religion. And that is something that is very, very important. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made certain things that make you bare minimum a Muslim. Bare minimum a Muslim. And from them is the prayer. From them is your fasting. From them is your zakah. Yani don't think just because you pray in your five prayers that you are of the highest echelons of this religion. No, that's not how this works. You are just bare minimum Muslim right now. That's what makes you a Muslim. That's what your religion is built upon. Right? That's just the bare min. Is everyone with me? For the main thing is, is the Prophet ﷺ has made obligatory certain things. And what he has made obligatory, the Prophet ﷺ says, don't be neglectful of them. Take heed of them. Make them important. Now, the scholars, subhanAllah, when they talk about this, they talk about the word fard, and they talk about the word wajib, and they talk about, يعني, in this religion, is there a difference between the two words? Something that is obligatory and something that is also obligatory. Now, some scholars have made a difference. It is found in the madhab of the Hanafis, and it is also found in the works of Imam Ahmad and others, that يعني, they made a differentiation between these two words, something that was fard and something that is wajib. However, يعني, I personally يعني, don't like to go into these things because in the madhab of Imam Ahmad, يعني, it is something that, for instance, shows something but has no effect on the result. يعني, what is used for the word fard is something that is found in the Quran, something that is wajib, something that is found in the sunnah. However, this doesn't affect in the, in the madhab, this is, does not affect the actual result that you have to do it. It doesn't have any basis or actual effect on the result of what is discussed. However, it's just something that you yani, codify. You make branches, you make something, and you try to make more yani, uh, sense out of what's there. Something that's found in the Quran, something that's found in the Sunnah. However, in the actual result, there's no difference that's there. In the result, you still have to do them. In the result, you are still yani, sinful if you abstain from them. And that is something that is important. That whatever, whatever is found in the Qur'an and Sunnah are equal to us that we have to do them, whether we like it or not. And it is said that some of the scholars, يعني, subhanAllah, like Imam Malik, alayh, did not like anyone to ask, يعني, even, we're talking about something that was mentioned in the Qur'an, something that was mentioned in the Sunnah, they were both obligatory, right? But they didn't like anyone asking questions about the word Sunnah or Nafila. Someone came to Imam Malik and said in the prayer There are certain things that are obligatory And certain, certain things that are just sunan Certain things that are just يعني, Things that are found in sunnah But it's not obligatory for us to do And Imam Malik got really upset And made him leave the classroom And said this isn't from the etiquette that we talk in This isn't from the etiquette Everything in the prayer you have to do Because what does it mean when you say something is sunnah It's optional You don't have to do it So يعني, Something that is important is that these sometimes, these taqasim and sometimes يعني, the ways that the scholars codify certain things and they make branches of the knowledge, it is something just to help you understand. However, the result is one. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his understanding. For over here, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that he has, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made certain things obligatory. So be, don't be heedless. 
Don't be heedless. Don't abandon them. Don't be neglectful. Make sure that you hold upright the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made obligatory upon you. وَحَدَّ حُدُودًا فَلَا تَعْتَدُوهَا And then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, and he has set certain limits, so do not transgress them. He has set certain limits, so do not transgress them. For over here, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set certain things that are halal and certain things that are haram. So if you go past the halal, you're going into the haram. If you go past what is halal, then you'll fall into the haram. And we know that if someone goes beyond a limit, he is going to fall into the haram. And this is what the Prophet says, that there is a limit there that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed. So don't cross them, because if you cross them, if you go beyond that, then you will fall into things that are not permissible. And the scholars also mention over here, this is one of the foundations of the actions in the religion. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told you in the religion what you are allowed to do. The parameters of this religion, what is found in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So if you cross that, then you will cross the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, follow Allah and follow the messenger. This is the parameters that Allah has set. This is the limits that Allah has set. So if you cross those limits, you will do something that he has not prescribed, nor has the Prophet sallallahu has allowed. So what are you doing? You're crossing the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're crossing the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set forth. And subhanAllah, other scholars have said that this can also include the meaning of the had, the hudud that we have for punishments in Islam. The hudud is also, yani the wording that is used, is also the wording that is used for punishments in Islam. For instance, yani we know what the punishment of zina is in Islam for someone who is married. We all know what it is. So, the Prophet wasallam has set certain punishments. The punishment of, for instance, drinking khamr. And this is all in the Islamic State. This is all under Islamic governance. This is all under يعني, when, where there is an Islamic court that is in place. But we know, for instance, what is the يعني, uh, punishments for certain actions in Islam. Certain forbidden actions in Islam. So some of the scholars say that don't cross the limits where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Messenger wasallam has set forth. Yani the punishment is supposed to be on one person. Don't, because of your anger, punish his family also. Give him the same punishment. Don't, yani for instance, if something is to be cut, don't take the other one just because you're angry. So that's, that can also come into the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set. The measurements that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed. So don't cross the lines that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has enforced. وَحَرَّمَ أَشْيَاءَ فَلَا تَنْتَهِكُوهَا And he has made things forbidden. So don't indulge in them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first has made things that are wajib. Then things that he has made forbidden. So over here, the things that he has made forbidden, don't cross those things. Don't indulge in those things. Don't do the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made forbidden for you. And this is something that obviously is very self-explanatory. And we've covered the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set and the things that he has forbidden. But this is something that's foundational. Something that gives you something that you can now see, okay, the measurement is, is this allowed? Is this crossing the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Is this something that is forbidden? Three things so far. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying, do not indulge in things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. 
And this is something that is very يعني, self-explanatory. وَسَكَتَ عَنْ أَشْيَاءَ رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ غَيْرَ نِسْيَانٍ فَلَا تَبْحَثُ عَنْهَا And he has been silent on certain things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has refrained from stating a legal ruling on certain things. Either a yes or a no. And he says, رَحْمَةً لَكُمْ Out of mercy for you. غَيْرَ نِسْيَانٍ Not because he is forgetful. He knows what he could have said. He knows what he did say. He knows what he has been silent on. He hasn't been forgotten. There's nothing in this religion where it's just there out of chance or someone forgot to put يعني, a jigsaw puzzle in there. Someone lost it on the way. It doesn't work like that. For over here, the Prophet ﷺ is saying that he's done it out of mercy for you. That's why it's not there. فَلَا تَبْحَثُ عَنْهَا So do not search about it. Now this, subhanAllah, can pose certain issues for people يعني, because it means it has a, a bit of a confusing wording there. Don't search for things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been silent on. And this covers very different things. يعني, it covers a multiple different areas of things that we, if we can look at it, it will make a bit more sense. So what this covers. Firstly, the scholars initially were different in their agreements of was this just in the time of the Prophet or was it after the Prophet Is this any wording just for the companions or is it after the companions? Why? So over here, if we look at the example of the companions, the companions that were in Medina weren't ask, allowed to ask general questions to the Prophet They weren't allowed. And the Prophet did not make himself accessible for him to answer. He was accessible, but for him to answer questions regarding certain things. Why? Is because it was a time where things were becoming either a yes or a no. And if the Prophet had answered no, then it becomes a ruling for the entire ummah. And if he says yes, it becomes a ruling for the entire ummah. So the people of Medina, in Medina at that time, were not encouraged to ask questions. However, the companions were so eager, they would come to the people who would be coming to Medina and they knew that the Prophet in his da'wah would answer questions of people that are coming now. Right? So they would say, hey, ask the Prophet this. Ask the Prophet this. They give their questions to the incoming tribes or the incoming delegations to the Prophet ﷺ. Now obviously, the, the questions that were important, they would ask the Prophet ﷺ. But one example is, for instance, that Rasulullah ﷺ said that Hajj has become obligatory upon you. Near the end now, after يعني, the Prophet ﷺ, before that, Hajj wasn't obligatory. Now the Prophet has said, that Allah has made Hajj obligatory. One of the companions stood up and said, Every year, O Messenger of Allah, is it obligatory? Do we have to go every year? And the Prophet didn't reply. And then he replied, same question. He tried again. He said, Ya Rasulullah, every year, do we have to Hajj every year? And the Prophet didn't reply. And the third time, Ya Rasulullah, do we go every year? <laughs> SubhanAllah. And the Prophet did not reply, but he said, he got angry. Yeah, and the Prophet wasn't happy with this. He said, he didn't say yes or no. He said, if I say yes, then you're not able to do so. You're not able to do so. And it becomes obligatory upon you. So don't ask these questions. Don't ask. Yeah, and if something is there, just do as much as you can. If you want to do it every year, do it every year. If you can't do it every year, don't do it. It wasn't specified. You're doing it now and making it harder upon yourself. This is something that's very important. يعني مثلا, if we look 
in the examples in the Quran, the one example, the most famous example of the Quran is in the first, second chapter of the Quran of Bani Israel. Musa tells them, slaughter a cow. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling you to slaughter a cow. Right? They come back and they say, what type of cow is it? What type of cow is it? What color is it? It still doesn't make sense to us. What type of cow do you want us to do? We can't, we can't figure it out. No, can't figure it out. And the scholars say, subhanAllah, that they made it harder on themselves. Had they just cut any cow, killed any, slaughtered any cow, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it would have been accepted. But because they went and made it harder on themselves, then it became harder upon them. And they said that there was only one cow in them that filled the criteria that they wanted, that they kept asking for. But before that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have accepted anything. But because they had this thing of saying, no, that doesn't make sense to it, it got harder and harder. So that is the main thing, that if you're told to do something, do it. However, whilst understanding this, there are still limits set by this religion. It's not that you do whatever you want just because you can't find a dalil. Yani someone who's ignorant because he wants to be ignorant. Someone says, hey, do you know that's not... Hey, 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 what are you doing? Habibi, it's haram. No, relax, relax, relax. So if someone says, for instance, that you're going to the bank and he's trying to pull you to the side and you, th- you know, someone is trying to tell you that it's haram and you, you try to be يعني, ignorant on your own accord, this does not make sense. So just because you don't know that it's in the Qur'an and the Sunnah doesn't mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has remained silent on the issue. And just because you don't know the dalil doesn't mean that it's يعني, being silent on the, on the issue. So this thing of يعني, ignorance that's selective it doesn't يعني, fall into this hadith. Another thing that's important that comes under this hadith is يعني, there are things of the ilm al-ghayb that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given us the information of. For instance, if someone asks, how old is Iblis? This guy tries to count the days. It, يعني, it doesn't have any, any sense in this religion. Or if someone says, you know, Rasulullah said, that the distance between the heaven, one heaven to the next heaven is like a, a ring in the desert and he tries to count every sand granule in the thing and tries to make a measurement, you know, it's actually one to the power of billion. And it doesn't make sense like that to find out, you know, if you take what type of desert could it have been and then you try to go to what type of a normal ring is it and then you look at your ring and his whole life is just looking at a ring and trying to find how many granules of sand is there so he can find out what's the exact dimension, يعني, the the distance between the skies يعني, that, are, that are posed in the hadith. That's not what it's for. That's not what he's remained silent about the issue. There's no benefit in it for you. And يعني, for instance, other things of the ilm al ghayb is, for instance, the things of the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, for instance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hasn't told us the characteristics, يعني, the kayfiyah, the how of the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, he hasn't told us of the how. So we say, we affirm the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without interpretation. We affirm them as they are. And we don't do tamthil. We don't say that يعني, the characteristic of Allah is like my characteristic. And we don't do tashbih, that it's like the characteristic is like so-and-so's characteristic. And we don't make sure the main thing is that we don't negate the characteristic as well. So the main thing is that we don't know the how of the characteristic. We don't know the actual how. 
So the how is there, but we don't know it. I know it sounds a bit you know, complicated. There is a how, but we just don't know how it is, and we'll find out in Jannah, inshallah. But the main thing is that we don't have it. It's not in the Quran, not in the Sunnah. What is in the Quran and the Sunnah is a characteristic. Is everyone following? I know it's a bit quick. But the, in the Quran and the Sunnah is a characteristic. Now we have to affirm the characteristics as they are of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we don't indulge on the things that is maskut an. The things that are not told to us, the things that are silent, hidden from us, the things that haven't been relayed to us, we don't go and ask about them. We don't try to do this. This is not from the example that was posed to our salaf, as we know in the famous story of Imam Malik, when someone says, How does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ascend his throne? How does he go above his throne? And he says, We know what istiwa means, that he rose above it. right? And we know its meaning in the language, and we don't know how. We don't know how. And he said, asking about the how is an innovation. And he ordered that person to be removed from the class. Rahimahullah. Also, for instance, of other things, like for instance, there are certain things that are hidden from us, of like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us that everything makes dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this guy tries to go next to a tree and tries to figure out physiologically how does a tree make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How does the grass make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What is it? This is not from us. This is not from the, the reasonings or the ways that the Quran and the Sunnah works. So these are certain things that have been mentioned and there are other things that, يعني, of course, this is very, very important. But يعني, we don't need to go into certain things and try to make things harder on yourself. Like, for instance, someone tells you that you owe zakah, for instance, uh, of a certain number. So you ask, can I, do I have to only pay it cash or can I pay by card as well? Right? Because you, you, you're finding, not like, is it, can I, like, you're not saying if it's, you're saying, is it religiously required for me to pay cash or card? Can I do a bank transfer? Is that still accepted? No one told you that. They said you have to pay a certain amount. That's what you have to do. Then pay that certain amount. Whatever is easy for you. No one said that we only take card. We only take cash. So that's on you. You have to do it. For instance, it's very, very important that we don't get into that mindset. Then, if we look at, I think that's enough. The يعني, Imam Nawi rahimahullah states that this hadith was relayed to us by Imam Ad-Darqutni and others. I want to tell you one story about Ad-Darqutni. Ad-Darqutni was one of the greatest muhaddithin of this ummah. Greatest. يعني, so I want you to understand that just because Imam Ad-Darqutni rahimahullah mentioned this hadith doesn't mean that Imam Ad-Darqutni did not know that this hadith was not sahih. He knew this hadith was not sahih. He knew. However, some of the muhaddithin had gathered in different books things that weren't authentic. Why? So that they would gather everything that was available. Whatever someone else didn't have, whatever wasn't available, they made sure that these ahadith aren't lost. Even if they're not authentic, we make sure that we bring the isnad and we make sure we bring the matin. Right? So I want you all to understand that Imam Darqutni Rahmatullah alayhi, who was one of the greatest muhaddithin who ever lived. Yani there, there, he used to, yani how great of a scholar he was. He used to look at Bukhari, which is already the greatest book that is written after the Quran. Yani the greatest book, the most authentic book after the Quran. And he said that Imam Bukhari could have got something more authentic. He should have used this line here. He should have used this sanad. Because it's more authentic than what he has. He used to pull yani Imam Bukhari up. 
on certain things because he said Imam Bukhari should have used this one because this one is more authentic. There is a story of Imam Darqutni, for instance, that he would listen to a dars, but he would write the previous dars from his memory. And I want you to understand, like, this isn't people that are normal. These are people that were awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the close ones of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are people who this ummah has been blessed with to maintain the sciences of hadith and hadith itself. And so I want you to understand that this, يعني, just because this hadith is weak, it has no reflection on Imam al-Darqutni rahmatullah alayhi. Or if any other hadith scholar mentions a hadith in their books and it is live, or it is mawdu' Just because they have done that Is not a reflection on the alim himself They knew because they gave the isnads Previously the book subhanallah We are so weak in our knowledge But previously the scholars how they would write Is they would give you the hadith and they'd give you the isnad And it was up to you Because everyone at that time who was reading Was of the caliber to know uh, In the isnad is so and so and he is weak in the isnad is so and so and he is weak. They knew from just the mujarrad, the isnad being there. From the isnad being there, they would know of what is authentic and what is not. So they were writing to scholars. right? So just because now we don't have that, and just because we find it in their books, it doesn't mean that this is a reflection of this scholar or any other scholar. Rahmatullah alayhim. And I think يعني, because of the rain... And because of how tired you all look, it looks like everyone had a busy weekend. Wassallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa jazakumullahu khayran. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.